note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Welcome to Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we are clearing out our movie backlogs by going year by year, decade by decade, for a century of cinema. Um, which is very apt, actually, because 2020 will be the end of cinema, won't it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm Liam. I'm Ollie. And uh, welcome to the show. Welcome. This is our second one, so it's still in the early phases. We're still uh, we're still getting used to it. And it's actually our first one. It's the first of the miniseries. It's the f- it's the first proper one. So is the miniseries the nineties? Then is that how we're doing it? Is that what it is? Yeah, we're going to start with nineties and do ten films from the nineties. This is obviously starting with nineteen ninety. So, um, how's your week been? How have you been? How's things? <laughs> I mean, we're in the middle of coronavirus hell. So I think everyone's week has been just incredibly weird. It's like I wake up in the morning and you think it's normal. And then about a good five seconds later, it just, it dawns on you again. It's like, oh, okay. That's how it is then. We're in the middle of this, this hell. The thing is though, like I've been in quarantine for the past five, six weeks anyway, because of my operation. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because we recorded the last episode, but then you... Had to yeah, I, had my, I, had, I don't know why I'm showing the audience my ear. It's not like they can see my ear. But um, Theatre of the mind. Yeah. So I had an ear operation, so I haven't been able to wear headphones, which you kind of need to do a podcast, because otherwise I can't hear you. Um, but the only times I've been out, I've been to the doctors twice, and I've been to Nando's. That's the only times I've been out in the last six weeks. Well, no change there. So yeah, it, it seems like all the films coming out soon will be delayed. Yeah. Till when, who knows? Who knows? It's and then, the, the choice now the cinemas are making is, well, not the cinemas actually, the cinemas got no choice. It's the, it's the studios have to decide whether if they release it on streaming, are they going to make as much money? Or if or do they want to be the first big film back at the cinema, really? Yeah, I think any film that's got like a following like so like Wonder Woman that will be a cinema release Ghostbusters I think they'll they'll keep that for the cinema but anything smaller I think they'll just I mean to be honest though they hardly make smaller films now and they they usually go quickly to streaming pretty soon anyway there's like three big films at the moment aren't there that were in question and it's kind of Bond uh, Black Widow and Wonder Woman and they're the big ones at the moment that were kind of meant to be coming out now well bond was well ahead of the curve i mean they did it before it kind of the shit really hit the fan you know i think they did it back in february they delayed it maybe yeah yeah they acted quicker than our fucking government yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) um so that's november um wonder woman is now august and i don't know when oh black widow's july i think which i think that might be even too soon i don't think i don't think it might be and it's even the yeah. question of what the cinemas are going to be like when it comes back. I don't think social distancing is going anywhere soon. They'll, it'll be a slow rollout, won't it? So they'll probably still have it going back to 50% capacity yeah. or something like that. And, um, and it's a question if they even survive. I mean, the, the amount their stock's dropped. Um, yeah, and the I, amount of shit in the world have got because of the way they treat their employees as well. I know. I think, I think the boutique ones, like so, for example, in Birmingham, like the Mockingbird... And the Empire, uh, electric, yeah, they're the ones that will cinemas. survive. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. because they offer things that the, the the multiplex doesn't. And I think cinephiles are more likely to go to the cinema after this than just your average person. 
Do you know sure. what I mean? Not saying a cinephile is not an average person, but you, you know what I mean. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Well, I mean, for a lot of people, I know myself, my mental health kind of requires me going to the cinema. Like, it's absolutely a great place for me just to go and make sure that I'm spending two hours, whatever, just, you know, relaxing, not doing anything else, not checking my phone, not worrying about yeah, anything yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah. And I, I mean, a lot of yeah, cinema... Might... I mean, going to, going to the cinema or watching a film is probably the one time I don't just pick up my phone and go, Ooh, what's going on, Lion? Which I've, I know I do it too much and it, it, I need to try and stop doing that. And especially now, it's even worse because we're all checking to see what the updates are yeah, of, yeah. of COVID and that and seeing what's going on. So I'm a, I'm a data guy and I love the COVID mapping that's coming out. I can't stop <laughs> staring at it and like seeing where the spread is and stuff like that. It's ridiculous, but... I, I'm obsessed with it. Like, I think we all are in a lot of ways. I know. Yeah, it's it's dominating everyone's life, isn't it? So, have you managed to check out any of the films that come out on streaming? Um, what are the big ones coming out? What are the big ones? I'd say Invisible Man. Um, I've, Emma. I've... Oh yeah, I forgot about Emma. Uh, the Hunt. Oh, and Onwards. Onwards, yeah. Is the, is the Hunt the one that's by Damon Lindelof? I'm not sure. It's the one that got weird controversy, and I can't actually remember why the controversy was. Shall yeah, I'm... it got delayed, didn't it? I think was it some. Uh, look it up, so I'm not talking crap. But it got delayed because of some news event, didn't it? Yeah. But the Invisible Man looks cool. I tell you what, I did watch, which probably is a good link into what we watched today. And what oh, we can shooting talk about in today. America's that delayed it, apparently. Ah. Uh... I watched uh, The Colour from Out of Space with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed. And I think it maybe the second or third, one of the uh, few from the production company that's actually led by or one of the co-owners is Elijah Wood oh, of, okay. of Lord of the Rings fame. Yeah, it's based on a HP Lovecraft uh, book. And it's about a colour, this entity or whatever it is, takes over people and like kind of... It's got a bit of like the thing and um the body snatchers kind of vibe going on but it's got the main thing is this color which is indescribable but in the film it's pink <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's how do you funny, feel, yeah. how do you create a color that can't be described it's it's not possible. i think dave gorman was trying to write a book about a color and there's a war over this color and it was a new color and he couldn't yes. describe the new color in the book i was saying was it dave well, there was also um Sounds like Chuck Palugnik or something. Palahugnik, I never know how to say his name. Um, oh, the Fight Club guy. Yeah, I swear he had a story about that. Okay. Um, but the famous one for me is um, fucking uh, Discworld. Terry Pratchett has that colour. Um, begins with O and I, my brain's completely dead and all the Discworld people are going to be yelling at their fucking heads at the moment. To be fair, if there's anybody who could make that work on paper... It's Terry Pratchett. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Do you know what I mean? It's the colour of magic, I think. Oh, is it the colour of magic? It's literally well, the colour of magic, sense. yeah. Um, and I can't remember what it fucking is called. So okay. have you watched anything else? I watched uh, I watched The Invisible Man. Is it good? Yeah, I really liked it. Um, really, really, really liked it, actually. It doesn't completely hold up all the way through, um, but the centre bit when she's getting kind of hunted like the thriller elements of it um, are the most tense I think I've seen like kind of a, a kind of thriller horror film be in years 
like that you get this a massive just impression that she is so helpless against like this this kind of force and i think that really worked i really really like that so is this the start of the new universal monsters or not? dark universe baby yeah. it's back <laughs> Apparently. Is it going to cross over with Tom Cruise? Apparently it's not. Apparently it's just standalone. No. I, I guess Universal just like to use these properties. I can't remember who made it now, but um, I think they're making a sequel, which the film set, Bl- the film does set up. It was Blumhouse, isn't it? So the ones that did all the, the cheap horror films. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Um, it's Lee Lee Waynell, I think his name is the director, who did... Um, uh, he did... Insidious, I think. Oh, we did Upgrade. That's the one I'm trying to remember, which is really fun. I've heard that's good. Yeah, it is absolutely worth watching. Um, Upgrade's really violent, um, really kind of visceral, and really kind of um, like fast. Really fun. It's not dumb as well. It's it's got something going for it, and I had a really good time. It's a proper good hangover film, like in a, not in the way that kind of hangover film is when it doesn't want to be too loud, but you know when you're just feeling like the day after you don't want to do anything, and it's kind of like. There's just a, a great kind of action film on TV. It felt like that kind of way. The best hangover film ever was when we stayed at yours when you were at uni and you had a party and we all watched Batman 66 movie or whatever <laughs> and we were all just hanging. It was brilliant. <laughs> How many times have we watched that film together? Two, not, not enough. <laughs> Never enough times. Never enough. Right, so we're starting our miniseries. If we haven't been kind of clear with this, the idea is that we're going to do 100 films for 100 years, and we're going to do it in 10 film ch- like miniseries. Uh, we decided to start with 1990s because, you know, we kind of grew up through the 90s when we were kids, growing up to kind of be teenagers. You know, we, we are millennials after all. And we thought like... The are 90s... we millennials? Is yeah, that, we're millennials. Is that what we are? Yeah. We are. Yeah, the papers might think millennials are like 18-year-old kids, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still 18. I thought the 90s were kind of cool because it's when I discovered cinema. Walls of VHSs, yeah. Well, I think that's definitely where I get it from. This kind of, this is uh, the heart of the podcast is us trying to clear this cinema backlog, you know, videotape backlog kind of thing. Of I'm much more prolific kind of collector of films often than I am a watcher of them, even though I watch films constantly. Like, it's so much easier to buy a DVD or, you know, VHS and stuff like that. It's like I said on the test one, there's so many films I've had conversations with people about. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And trying to move the conversation along to another film because I actually haven't seen the film I have said I have seen. <laughs> Just bullshitting. So, yeah, I like the idea of this, of us trying to make make rights out of wrongs. Yeah, make good. Of, make good. Make yeah, honest. Make good. Yeah. So, uh, 1990s is the one we started with. It's an interesting year for films. I don't know what... Do you, off the top of your head, have you got a favourite 90s film? 1990 film? <sighs> well, I mean, if you ask... Me back in 1990, you know what I'm going to say. I'm guessing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Of course. And do you want to know what the 36-year-old version of me says? It's definitely Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> You'd have to remind me of what films came out that year. I can't remember. What's the top What's the top grossing films, do you know? I think the top grossing film was Ghost, the classic with Whoopi Goldberg. Well, I always say with Whoopi Goldberg, and she's credited in that film so far down, the thing, which for me, she's like the star of that film. <laughs> Um, Home Alone, which I thought you might say. That is definitely one of my favourites. I almost killed my parents after I saw that film at the cinema. I laid traps all around the house. 
and uh, nearly took my sister's head off with a Tonka truck. <laughs> that is a true story, which my parents will always bring up all the time. So <laughs> I like that it's with a Tonka truck. And then there's um, Pretty Woman, which is fine. Yeah, it's all right. It was a huge film at the time, launched careers, basically, didn't it? Like, And Dances with Wolves. Oh, I do like Dances with Wolves, I have to say. And I think Top 5, and then we got like Total Recall. It was the fifth That's top grossing film that year. Like, I enjoy that. It's a great film, yeah. All these are good films, I swear. Well, okay. Back to the Future 3 came out in 1990, which I love Back to the Future 3. I know it's got... I was thinking this the other day. Is Back to the Future 3 the origins of steampunk? I can't say it's the origins, but it's definitely steampunk aesthetic. <laughs> definitely. 100%. Like, especially the train. Yeah, yeah. The train is all about... Well, it literally is steam, steam-powered steam time travel. Like, it's got it. <laughs> Steampunk's always kind of like Victorian-esque more, isn't it, than Wild West? Oh, I'm saying that fucking World Wild West exists. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the ultimate steampunk. Yeah. Yeah. With the steam, steam-powered <laughs> spider. The thing that almost tried to kill steampunk for everybody. (laughs) What about you? What would your favourite film from 1990 be? It's difficult, isn't it? Um, Honestly, Back to the Future 3 is up there. I do love that. Um, Back in the day, I loved The Rescuers. The Rescuers Down Under came out in 1990. I haven't seen that one. I I probably watched so much of that. Um, My favourite 1990 film is probably Edward Cezanne's, though. Oh, is that 1990? Yeah, yeah. Which... You know what else came out in 1990? Coupe de Ville came out in 1990. Did it? Yeah, I love that film. I know Darkman came out in 1990. Oh, God. I do. I really like Darkman, actually. Yeah, Darkman's <laughs> a great film. 1990 is a fantastic year for film. Like, not every film is... Not every year is this good. And 1990 just has continuously great films, including Ollie's favourite film, Hard to Kill, starring Steven Seagal. Was that the one we watched at yours? No, in, in Brighton. Brighton, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, the one where... They try and kill him and he's hard to kill. That one. <laughs> Dick Tracy came out. Oh, Gremlins yeah. 2. Robocop 2. That's Ghost Dad. Ghost Dad is a deleted film. Um, arachnophobia. But Goodfellas. Truly Madly Deeply. Die Hard 2. These are all proper Hollywood films as well, though, aren't they? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pump up the volume. Misery. Uh, I, I do like Misery. It's one of the better um, Stephen King adaptations. Yeah, by far. I mean, it earned Kathy Bates well, the Oscar, didn't it? So, although you know, in the book, it, she doesn't break his legs; she actually saws his feet off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually the the breaking is so much a bit more visceral in the film. So, because the sound, I think, yeah, is. And then talk like talking the Oscars with um Kathy Bates. Uh, this film that we're doing today actually got Diane Ladd. A uh, nomination for supporting actress, didn't it? Did it? Uh, yeah. So yeah, she got nominated for best supporting actress. Um, she lost it to Whoopi Goldberg for Ghost. But um, so this the film, uh, in, even in a year with so much kind of going on, you know, Goodfellas as well, Awakenings came out this year. Like um, there was still space for this film to kind of get its actor a nomination, uh, which is really cool. This film, uh, I've. Well, I mean, we'll say we're doing, we're doing David Lynch, Wild at Heart. Can I talk to Lula? You are not gonna see him ever. Why, Kale? I'd go the far end of the world for you, baby. A man can't ask for more than that. You move me, Sal. You really do. 
you want me to shoot sailor in the brains with a gun I didn't have much parental guidance. Baby, you better run me back to the hotel. You got me hotter in Georgia asphalt. This whole world wild and hard and weird on top. Obviously, I'd never seen it before. You'd never seen it either. I'd never seen it, no. So, um, it didn't do great when it came out. It wasn't, um, it was kind of financially successful, but it wasn't a, a massive critical success or anything, but it's kind of been reevaluated in years past now. Well, it, it was made on a $10 million budget and it made $14 million, so that's not a win in any stretch of the imagination. No, no. But I think, so I think before it came out, it was, the word was that it wasn't very good, but I believe it won the Palm d'Or at Cannes. It did win the Palm d'Or, which is so yeah. weird because it's the only one of his films to win the Palm d'Or. And it feels like to me, which they don't do this a lot with the Palm d'Or, but it does feel like to me that they were giving them, the, they were giving it this film because of Blue Velvet. Like, Blue oh, Velvet so just, it's almost like just we, didn't we get, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, like, and I don't think they do that a lot with Cannes, but it just, it did feel like it because Blue Velvet was an absolute masterpiece that everyone kind of slept on in awards way. What have you seen of David Lynch? I've pretty much seen all his films. Actually, I've bar this. I've never watched Firewalk with me, um, because I've never watched season two of Twin Peaks. So not many people did, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, because obviously I didn't watch Twin Peaks at the time. I was way too young. I came to it years later, where it was you know now this cult masterpiece, and I kind of watched season one, and people told me not to bother watching season two, and I never really did. Like, and because of that, I haven't watched Firewalk with me, which I have got told it's great. Actually, so I should go back and watch it. I know the music. The music for Firewalk with Me is wonderful. It's a great soundtrack. But I've never watched. I've it actually I have listened to that. I've I own it. I've got two copies of it. One's in a David Lynch box set that I own, and the other was in it's in a Twin Peaks box set that I own, and I haven't seen either of them. <laughs> so, like my history with it is, I've I own all of his films, but I'd say I've seen half of them. Okay. Again, this is the reason why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And ironically, well, I don't not ironically, but I have only seen his straighter films, quote unquote. Well, have you seen so, a Straight Story then? So I've seen Straight Story. I haven't seen Straight Story. That I was going to mention that. Um, I love that film. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I've seen Elephant Man. Yeah, fantastic. Film. Um, I mean, I have just... watched. I've watched series one and two of Twin Peaks. Haven't seen the film. I have the the new, you know, the new series yeah. as well. The which I, I think some of those episodes are like 90 minutes long each themselves so it's like right. some some of them are like they're like feature length episodes and there's quite a few episodes it got great um, reviews 
Yeah, you know the you know the little guy in it though that kind of speaks and walks backwards or whatever. He didn't want to come back for the series, so they replaced him with a talking like bush or tree or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like why not? <laughs> that's what they did in a. That's what they did with uh, Kevin Spacey, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they should replace him with talking bushes. <laughs> I have seen uh, June as well. Yeah, oh, God, June. I mean, what an interesting career. Come straight out the gate with Razorhead, which is just a psychopathic film, frankly. But it was such a big cult hit. I need to watch that. And immediately do do Elephant Man. And Elephant Man then just won all the fucking Oscars. That actually didn't win any Oscars, did it? It actually just got eight nominations. But it won three BAFTAs. Was that his second film then? Yeah, second film. And then to be his third film, to be June, which is just a colossal undertaking. We we were seeing the documentary you know, um, of the attempts to make June over the years. Well, you know he was one of the directors that was in contention to direct Return of the Jedi. God, that would have been good. So it was like him and Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg would have been better, but God, I could I could have watched David Lynch's Return of the Jedi. It would have been a mess in a great way. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, like June was like they were trying to push that as being like a new Star Wars. There was even yeah. like an action figure line for it. Yeah. I mean, who wants figures of June? <laughs> I, don't I want figures of Sting in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's actually—is it? Have they shot it now? The new one, or is it Dennis Villeneuve's one? It, I don't know. I probably—I don't know if they haven't finished shooting it. It's now it's been on hold. On hold, yeah. So, but he's got a crazy cast for that. Yeah, like the Casties guy is insane, but um, I digress. And then, like after June, he does Blue Velvet, which I think you can start describing this as kind of David Lynch hits his kind of like his vibe from Blue Blue Velvet yeah, his, onwards, his, really. His stride, yeah. yeah. Um, Blue Velvet was a huge hit. It didn't really, it didn't win anything really, but it just kind of cemented him as this kind of cult kind of artistic director really and this was his follow-up to that which i think that's what i was saying about the palm door i've got a feeling he got the palm door much more based on the fact that blue velvet was a slow crawl to become a kind of critical favorite um by the time this came out four years after i think people were really anticipating what david lynch's new film would be well because apparently i was reading about this and apparently he didn't wasn't going to direct it originally he was going to produce it or something like that yeah but he kind of snaked it out from the guy who was then going to direct it. Yeah, I think he had loads of trouble getting his next next project off the ground. But he had got Twin Peaks done in the time period. So, um, and he then he did this 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 film, which is. What um, did you think of it then? I really liked it. I really liked it. It's just a it's just a roller coaster. I mean, I've watched it twice now. It's a film that I I I thought a lot about after. Right. Okay. It, like a lot of it lingered in my head, like like, did this have any meaning? Was it just put there just for the sake of being random or weird? You, like for example, um, we'll get into it later. But when she starts painting her face, yeah, with the lipstick, and then it cuts back to her later on, and she's just her face is just red, yeah. red, and I'm like, what's going on? I wondered if that was one part of the Wizard of Oz imagery. Um, okay, in a kind of 
I don't know how to. I don't know because the the problem I've done, the mistake I've made is I've just finished watching it like ten minutes before we started recording, so yeah, so I haven't given my brain any time to kind of think about what I watched really. Right. Okay. But um, it's it's interesting because as far as I can make out, he took this script. He then halfway through. Was it writing it, maybe? I was going to say filming, but I think it's halfway through writing, he decided that he could make it into a Wizard of Oz. um, Put Wizard of Oz into it, in a kind of themes and imagery and stuff. But it goes, halfway through, it goes heavy into it. I wonder where that came from, because it's based on a book Mm. by, is it Barry Gifford? Yeah. And it's like a series of books, so there's more of them. Oh, I didn't know Six books. And also, there's a spin-off movie about one of the characters in the film. Is there? So, you know the character... Does she... You know the blonde-haired lady who I think is the sister of the really bizarre lady that tortures um, Harry Dean Stanton? Yeah, one of the... Um, do you mean one of the assassins? The one played by uh, Grace Zabisky, is it? Zabisky? It's not her, but the, the one that's... I've got it in my notes. Let me try and look for it. Where is it? do 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 my notes are just a mess, man. I need to. <laughs> her name is oh Isabella Rossellini. Her character. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. So it's based on her character. That's really interesting. I'd be up for watching that actually. So I'd, it's it sounds a bit like how they've done a, the Jesus the movie, G- yeah. like you know, the the uh, spin-off of the Big Lebowski. Which I'm on about. honest, I am not interested in at all. But That's... I think he shot that like five years ago. I think so. <laughs> It's like taking that long for it to come out, but anyway. Anyway, discretion, but but I it, this film to me felt a lot like a Twin Peaks. It definitely had a massive Twin Peaks vibe. Yeah, in that it had that really off kilter kind of. I mean, all of David Lynch yeah. films from what I've seen. Obviously, I keep forgetting. I have seen um, the one with Bill Pax, not Bill Pax, Lost Bill Highway. Pullman. I have seen Lost Highway. Have you not seen Mulholland Drive then? No. Oh, uh, see, that was my. I think that was my. Uh, not my intro. I had seen other films, but that was the first film that I really kind of thought, oh, I love David Lynch. Like that was, and I watched it multiple times. Funnily enough, that when I had my first ear operation, you bought that round for me to watch, but I never watched it. Oh, okay. So yeah, that was like, that's talking about 18 years ago. <laughs> anyway, um, but the like a lot of the scenes felt like the acting and the music, almost like a, daytime american daytime soap opera yeah yeah which twin yeah. peaks has a lot of that in and obviously purposely so he's got like an obsession with like that kind of all american yeah. kind of i don't a little don't bit know, john like, walters like is that a weird comparison but i thought no, of john walters a lot so. when watching it like serial but, mom the way it's got that kind of weird um tv-esque kind of surrealism uh, yeah. to it but but John Waters films are a bit a, le- a lot less cere- cerebral, yeah. I guess. Maybe yeah. they're a bit more. You can f- follow them a bit more, or I don't know, a bit more easy to decipher. Well, I mean, but, to uh, explain Lynch, I mean Lynch is a surrealist. I mean, that's what that's what he bases his entire oh, yeah, world on. Like, and he's a paint. He's a was a painter, wasn't he? Yeah. So and he kind of thinks that, and I, I think once you understand this, it's easier to watch David Lynch films because it's easier to know what you're going to expect to see when you're watching them. But like he thinks narrative can be drawn from subconscious. So he thinks like narrative in his stories can be drawn from like subconscious images and waking dreams and kind of narratives that are gone unsaid and 
that sometimes dream elements aren't. Sometimes dream elements are important, are as important to plot, but it doesn't matter if they're dream or or actual stuff happening. It, well, he mixes I mean, those two, and I think well, this 100%. is not the start of it, but this is this incorporates that. I'm sorry, I absolutely talked well, over you. Then. No, no, I talked over you. But <laughs> he has he he has loads of characters that just pop in weirdly. Like there's a bit where they go to like that jazz kind of restaurant or nightclub. I don't know what it is. But that guy just starts like talking to him, and he sounds like Donald Duck. Oh yeah, and he's got the helium voice. <laughs> yeah, and he's what? like, yeah. it's just so like, it serves no purpose. Pigeons spread diseases. I must have the that. And then there's another bit where there's like an old lady just dancing, and it just lingers on this like strange looking old lady for a little while and it's like he i don't know if he just casts like non-actors that just mm. people who he he finds look interesting and yeah just thinks, that's just a lot like give give these a little moment that's a, again I, I think that's really relatable to john walters weirdly I, I didn't think i'd be talking about john walters but like and also jonathan demi is almost from the same sort of school of that as, as kind of and a guy who knows he's in the art world. He knows people who are musicians. They're artists. They're a bit odd looking. They're a bit weird, and they just pop up in the films. They just as characters, and I think David Lynch does do that. He just throws things into to to the to give his film color and to give it kind of some um, physicalness. I think like but like so. If we start from the beginning, just I mean, we're not going to go through it beat by beat because sure. that'd be boring. But but talking about like dreams and subconscious. He kind of the film starts off with that kind of almost jazz kind of laid back music, and you think, oh, is this set in like the fifties or the forties? Like, because everyone's wearing like suits and it looks like they've been to like a kind of a dance and stuff. And then all of a sudden, that metal kicks in, <laughs> and he like just <laughs> brutally, <laughs> yeah, it's he fucking amazing, brutally murders that guy it's like, fucking like amazing. So over the top, but you don't get a sense from his character that he, he actually comes across as a decent person now and again. Like they try and help that lady who her car crashes, her car crashes you know, with yeah. a friend, yeah. And like he doesn't come across as like a, a nasty piece of shit. But that fight scene was just like, what the hell? It's I I just wrote that I just wrote down. Well, that's a fucking start. Like <laughs> yeah, right into but, it, and that just... metal riff though he kept the same one kept coming back, and I was like. You could have just had a different metal riff every single time, but no, it was just the same. Same duh, one. Duh, duh, duh. It was it part of like, like the soundscape of the film, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> I, it was crazy. couldn't believe that i when that's when it opened like that i was like right i'm in i'm in for a film i'm in for i'm in for this then okay i'm 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 on board and then like they go to the metal gig as well and it's like what's the name of the band it's like um power man and the, the singer's got a gua t-shirt on and a bum bag bum bag make sure you know it's the 1990s <laughs> and then well, the, the way they're dancing to the metal music is hilarious oh, and then yeah, all yeah. of a sudden he kicks into like obviously it's nick k so he has to do an elvis Apparently, Sorry, the, like... the Elvis stuff wasn't Nick Cage. It apparently, was actually David Lynch. Oh, really? Which is really odd because yeah, I figured it was Nick Cage as well because it's Nick Cage. But like, apparently, that was David Lynch told him to go, 
and kind of swat up on his Elvis and record two Elvis songs for the film. So it was, was it Love Me and Love Me Tender, I think, both. Yeah, so Love Me Tender is the one where they propose, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, right then, at the end, yeah. And then Love Me was the one it, just then in the metal club when he takes over the singing, which, what, what a scene. But I guess it's time to, I've brought him up. This is what, it's time to talk about Mr. Nick Cage, to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to lay this out there. Nick Cage is one of my favourite actors. Yeah. I love Nick Cage. I think I love him. And like, he never, every film he's in, he's at the perfect level yeah. for that film or even yeah. more intense. And I love him. Where did this idea come from that he went mad? Because he's always been this. Like this is an mm-hmm. early film for him. It's not too. It's not really early, but it's still an earlyish film, and he's absolutely at the at peak levels of this. I was uh, was watching. Is it like the GQ? Have you ever watched them on YouTube? They're like GQ, like actors talk about their most iconic roles. Okay, okay, yeah. So I watched the Nick Cage one, hoping he'd talk about this film, but he okay. didn't. He was talking about Face Off, and he was upset because. He only got to play the mental character, the insane character, for like the first 10 minutes of that film. So he had to set up how crazy his character was within that 10 minutes. So then John Travolta then has to channel him and be the crazy character. And he's like, you know, I'd like to have been the Castor Troy character more, but I had to be the subdued <laughs> John Travolta character. That is that is good Nick Cage, that film is. That is good Could Nick you imagine Cage. seeing his Superman? I would love to have oh, seen love- that. We've the world has been robbed of that. Whatever, whatever it would end up being, it wouldn't be boring. Like, I know it would. It'd just been insane. Yeah. Have you have you seen the documentary about the making of that film? I haven't watched it. No. Well, the, it's it's not a very well made film in the slightest. It's pretty sloppily put together. But the footage seeing him kind of coming up with his version of Clark Kent and Superman is really quite interesting. Mm. And his idea of Clark Kent is like this kind of nerd, and he kind of wears a Mickey Mouse tie, and like he's like a proper like like nerd who wears like jeans up to his armpits and stuff. I'm like so that. on board, <laughs> so on board. But he's quite—he's not that intense in this. I don't think there's the scenes where he is really over the top, but there's a yeah. lot where he's he's kind of quite tame. He's really, ro- it's he's really romantic in this, like. This is, is the, actually. This is the weird thing. The film is a romance and he is actually really romantic and he's just romantic in that kind of weird, intense... I don't want to say hillbilly is the wrong word, but it's it's the same thing as like um, uh, Raising Arizona. It's that same kind of ball he's playing, that kind of someone who's really got really strong emotions, really loves someone and is trying as hard as he can to kind of do right by that. But the world is shit. So he has to do shit things around that, though. Well, I think Lynch said the whole theme of the film is finding love in hell. That's his like. That's that's how he sums up the film. Makes sense. Makes sense. So like, everybody apart from them is trying to. It's almost like a Romeo and Juliet trying to like. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You got the mom who's just trying to. The mom was. He tried to no. The mom tried to sleep with Nick Cage, right? And he. I don't know if she did or she was just fucking with him. Okay, I wasn't sure. Because they. So the idea, if I remember, she's she, they try and blame Nick Cage for killing her husband. Is yes. that correct? Yeah. But it was really the mafia, whatever. Yeah. I don't know what he does. What is he? Is he? Yeah, mob boss. I don't know. Sure. But he's having an affair with her mom. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. Who is also in a relationship with Harry Dean Stanton. Yes. Okay. That's what I. And then she. Anyway. 
So she hires Harry Dean Stanton to look for them when they when he breaks parole and it's when he gets out of jail, which is yeah. the best fucking line I've ever heard in a film in my uh, life. Wait there, let, let me let me read it out. Let, did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I, I think that is a Nick Cage, though, wanting that jacket, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, he basically went to Nick Nick, uh, Nick Lynch. Who's Nick Lynch? He went to David Lynch. Lynch and went, I've got this jacket. I'm wearing this. Like, <laughs> and what's it Laura Dern's like? Many times, baby. You told me many times. <laughs> She was really good in this, though. I mean, Laura Dern's great. She's amazing in this. The woman who played her mom is her mom. Diane Ladd, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually a mom in real life. I didn't know that. Yeah. And what I really like about Laura Dern in this is that she's absolutely just like... She's just playing... She's playing a really sexual person, obviously, the whole... Oh, very much. But she's really comfortable with herself and really kind of um, um, like forthright about that. And it reminded me of Laura Dern in Marriage Story in that kind of way that she's just so... Um, confident and like assured of who she is in her in in her kind of own element. I just don't think Laura Dern often gets the chance to play someone like that. Really, though, I might be setting her short. But I haven't seen that film yet, so I need to watch that. But um... yeah, yeah, definitely. So she was obviously raped. Yeah, by Uncle Pooch. Uncle Pooch. Why? Why does she? When she speaks to Nick Cage's character Sailor about it. She doesn't. She says my mom didn't know, but obviously the flashbacks indicate that her mom saw it happening and then got him out of the house. I took it. I took it to mean that her mom didn't know it was happening until she knew. Oh, okay. Because she didn't specifically say that to Sailor, and yeah. we're supposed to believe that she's talking. At, when we see those flashbacks, she's actually saying that out loud. I don't know. But I did not believe for a second she was 13. Laura Dern is, <laughs> does not look a 13-year-old girl. Oh, I thought Laura Dern was so good in that. The, the post-sex like the post scenes in this film are the, my favourite things in the film, by far, when they were just lying in bed together after having sex. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And his rugged, his rugged, manly, hairy chest. Yeah, what was her line like? She said something like, your cock's so amazing. I felt like when it was inside of me, it was talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's such a good that was, line. <laughs> that was good. Um, it is a really highly sexualized film, though. I mean, yeah. like, there's a bit where he, where Nick Cage's character is talking about his encounter with a, a girl he was having sex with, and he full-on <laughs> gropes her. That bit is amazing. And he's telling it in the jazz club, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. and then Willem Dafoe has a scene later on where I don't know if she's actually turned on by him or if she's scared or if it's both. I think she's meant. Yeah, she he. Yeah, the rape scene that was a really horrible scene. I didn't like that at all. Like, and it's but just, it seemed like she was she was getting into it. I don't know. I couldn't. I don't. I know. I didn't really take it that way. I think I took it as her being really scared, um, and really just because she's a victim of trauma. And like um, victim of rape already, it's like her body and her brain are just completely like can be right at that moment were kind of separated or something. Okay, um, I yeah that that made me very uncomfortable. That scene did incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, it's it's a very intense scene, and yeah. then all of a sudden he like jokes, not jokes it off, but he kind of like. But that's like, the, I thought I was gonna... that's the power, isn't it? That's what makes it so horrific yeah. that it 
he didn't have to do anything more than what he did, even though what he did was still horrible. But it's like, um, yeah, that was um, that was some fucking scene. Like, this film has a lot in it, a lot. In I think it. the Wikipedia refers to it as like a road movie, but really, you don't see them on the road all that much. Not really, no. But um... it's one of those because I, 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 it feels like because the way David Lynch does stuff, I, you might be able to speak to this better than me. But there was a lot of just fading in it. Like there was not a lot of strong cuts, a lot of just fade cuts. But I think that comes from the TV kind of like the the soap opera kind of way of of the way of filmmaking that he does, like with Twin Peaks and stuff like that. I mean, I could be wrong, but I I don't know. They always have that romantic kind of fade in and out, like mm. almost a bit dream. Like I don't I don't know. Well, that's what it, that's what it felt like to me. You didn't really know what was dream or flashback or happening or or made up because the story, the weird story with Crispin Glover. Was just that well again? You would you would talk, you know, the random guy who's got the high pitched, you know, the Donald Duck voice, like that little side story of the guy who's obsessed with Christmas. Although yeah. he does have that wicked line, where he goes, "I'm making sandwiches," or is it, "I'm making lunch"? <laughs> my lunch. It's just like lunch. loads of hack, hacked up sandwiches on a table. I just said them. Um, I just wrote, "Crispin Glover is amazing." Is what I wrote in that bit. Like I but, just miss Crispin Glover being in films. I think he's so good on screen. But my filmmaking head thought, okay, he's going to come back in it in some way. But no, he's just... I thought, I took it as a warning that, like, he's them. He's their type of people, someone who's kind of trapped in, trapped with this nastiness around them, and he didn't heed any advice. Like, someone told him that the alien was actually him. It was always him in his hand or something. And okay. they need to heed that advice to break this kind of hell they're in otherwise they're not going to find happiness and that's what i thought that was doing i might be completely wrong god it's david lynch i'm i'm actually scared to normally talk about david lynch because I'm, I'm like i'm totally unqualified for this like but that's kind this, of what i thought i was seeing from that this is the guy who spent years just all he would do is report on the weather on his twitter account <laughs> he's the best <laughs> if you, i Did guess you, you haven't uh... watched his monkey interview film on netflix no, isn't it's only short though, isn't it? I yeah, haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it either. But um, have you heard his album? Did you listen to his album that came out about uh, ten years ago? I didn't actually. Oh, there's one song on it called "Creepy Clown Time," <laughs> and it's like I'll try and it goes Jimmy wore a red shirt. It's like that kind of stuff going. Holy. The video of it really reminded me of a scene in this film, and it's the bit where they're outside the trailer, and they're kind of talking to that. I don't, you see a sheriff, and then it's the first time they meet Willem Dafoe's character, okay. who's called what's his, what's his name? Um, um, something, something. Um, Bobby Peru. Bobby Peru. I was going to say yeah, Bobby and then, Idaho. <laughs> and then they're filming the the porn film in one of the trailers and then all those big girls come out and it goes a bit hypnotic and a bit weird when they're just like kind of dancing outside it really reminded me of that video i'll tell you what bit that made me laugh um there was a bit where god i can't it's uh, i i i have trouble telling you what the it's w morgan morgan shepherd you know w morgan shepherd the actor he played mr reindeer in this which i'm which honestly not sure who mr reindeer was now but he was like some kind of mob boss or something. Oh, is he the guy who's just had the naked women around him all yes. the 
Yes, him. Yeah, yeah. And there was a scene where they cut to the, him sitting in a chair with two naked women around it, and the two naked women are just talking to each other. And that one of them goes like, that dumb bitch stole my phone and someone else responds to something else. And he just tells her to shut up and then does his like mob boss thing. And I was like, that's the best scene I've ever seen. <laughs> well, the that first was. time you see him, he's, he's sitting on the toilet and then it pans out or cuts back and you just see a naked woman like resting on the, um, on the, on the door frame and he's just having a shit behind her. So I don't, so... I don't know how they're all connected. So the mob boss guy that's kind of going out with Diane Ladd's character or whatever, or likes are, it's confusing. He hires that guy then to hire those three people who are a bit nuts and that kidnap Harry Dean Stanton. I'm I'm a bit confused about that. But uh I think I I yeah. I... And then there's the whole thing with the silver coins as well. That was very John Wick to me. I thought so I haven't seen that, so that's a bit lost on me. I haven't seen those. Yeah, that really reminded me of John Wick, which obviously is a long time before John Wick. But um, I think if I get it right, Harry Dean Stanton was hired by Diane Ladd to go find Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern, and to yeah. prob- and not maybe not to kill Nicolas Cage, but just to kind of split them up. Yeah, and also at the same time, an old connection, an old mob boss, then came to speak to Diane Ladd and she, out of desperation, hires him because he was like, I'll get the job done. And that's Marcella Santos. That's J.E. Freeman. And that's the guy who killed her husband. And that's the guy who killed her husband, I think. Yeah. Did, did Was it ever referred to that he, that they both were in on killing the husband? I can't remember. I can't remember. Because what the bit that confused me is when Nick Cage was, was Sailor, was saying that he was there yeah, he was just sitting outside. Yeah, and well, I'm I... guessing he was he was dating her character at the time, uh, Laura Dern's character. Oh, I thought he might have been working for Mr. Reindeer. Well, he could have been because he wor- he used to work with the three assassins, didn't he? Because that's when he went to the assassins out and asked them if they got hit on him, and like you have to be honest with me. We used to work together. Have you got a hit out on me? And she yeah. was just lying to him, like. Um. So I wasn't totally sure if Nick Cage actually might have been responsible for him dying, the dad dying. So is. Is Bobby Peru a hitman as well? Who was yeah. hired as well? Is that yeah, correct? definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I think he was one of my favourite characters, though, because it just shows goes to show how one little bit of makeup can really make a character. Like those those teeth gum things he had on his mouth were like horrific, but it really made the character. I wasn't happy at all. William Defoe with tiny teeth is the worst thing. It made William Defoe worse. I was going to say William <laughs> Like He's, again, like going back to the GQ kind of iconic moments things, he did one of those videos as well. And one of his iconic characters was Bobby Peru. Oh, cool. So he talks a little about that. So that's quite interesting. And like, I love William Defoe because oh, he says him. that I'm, I, I can't remember if he said this or if I'm paraphrasing or whatever, but he said, look, I'll do whatever directors want me to do. I'm the, the paint. And they and they just put me anywhere and do whatever they want with me, and I really respect him because he's got no ego whatsoever, and mm. he just kind of, I think he's such a good actor. He's a brilliant but, um, actor. He's almost like, it, like continuously underappreciated. I think, um, even though I think everyone loves him, I think he's still underappreciated. It it shows how much makeup can help an actor though, because like I was thinking about when he was talking about how much it helped him, 
and then films like the brothers grim where originally they were going to be like uh, heath ledger and matt damon were going to have all face appliances on or like just a nose to make them look a bit odd and a bit awkward and then when miramax or whoever probably harvey weinstein dickhead uh he's always gonna come up in nighters man yeah when he said oh no we can't have our leading stars look, looking like that they're there are bankable stars who have to look like hollywood stars when they took that took those off them it totally ruined the it film for the them film, because yeah. they, it, it took away the character for them yeah yeah because yeah. you can't act awkward if you don't look a bit awkward do you know yeah. What I mean? yeah 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 but uh well i'm sure you can but i don't know but when you look like matt damon and heath ledger you know, they want to feel like they're in a. You know, it's hard to act as it is, and it helps if you're doing something that's completely bizarre and weird to have something that helps you just kind of feel a bit kind of in that world, a bit more protected. Well, also, it's like... probably not comfortable, so it probably helps with your performance because you're like, oh, this thing is really irritating. Me. Yeah, it probably brings something else out of you. And I think that's why mocap is really important for some. Like, I think sorry, I think why being a mocap actor isn't something everyone can do. And I think that's why people like Andy Serkis and stuff like that are really good because they can do those characters without and like embody it without the makeup and stuff. They've got yeah, that yeah. that going on. I don't think every actor can do that. <laughs> Just remembered that um, this going back a while, but I was going to say it when you said it about that scene when he's talking about the girl that he kind of picked up, and um, yeah. he goes, "I had a boner with a capital O." <laughs> <laughs> boner. <laughs> Fucking just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful script. Do you know, I'm jumping a bit to the end here, though. But you know, at the end where they like they're robbing the bank. Is it me? But whenever I see people's faces covered in tights, it's not a bank, is it? It's a grain store. A, yeah, but it's like it's like a disturbing image. You watch seeing yeah. people. It's a, it's a weird. Like I remember. Do you remember we made a film years ago and we had our friends Benson and Dave wear masks over their faces? It's yeah, like a really yeah. weird, off-putting. Thing. And then how he blows off his own head at the end, like oh, it's so good. Like it's... the whole skull literally flies up in the air, and it's all <laughs> flappy, and it kind of blonks on the ground, and it's all like <laughs> tendons flapping about the place. Like they don't make stuff look like that anymore. That's the real nineties thing with like gore and visceral. blood isn't practical in films anymore because you can do more takes. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. digital effects. Do you know what I mean? But um. Do people still get squibbed up in films? Squibbed. Squibbed. No, not sorry. really. No, not really. I mean, you, you, your tw- Quentin Tarantino's will do it. I can't, yeah. I'm trying to not call him by the meme name at the moment. <laughs> what is it? It's um, quarantine. Tar- no, what is it? Quarantino Tarantino. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, you, the DP of this film is Frederick Elms. Okay. And and he's worked with your boy. Um, Oh, Who's my name? boy? Uh, he directed uh, Gemini Man and uh, Angley. Angley, yeah. So he did uh, the Hulk and Ice wow. Storm. Oh wow! Oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, he also he also did Horns recently with uh, well, not recently, but with Daniel Radcliffe. I liked Horns. Storytelling, which is the Todd Salons movie. Have you seen that one? Oh uh, no, I haven't. No, that's good. And uh, he did Kinsey, where um, oh, Kinsey. Liam Neeson has a big cock. What? A- Crazy film Kinsey is. Bill Condon film, isn't it? Like the one, he, the film he did after Gods and Monsters. Yes, yeah, that's, and then before that's, Dream that's Girls, the one, yeah. So, um, if we are talking about the ending, um, he changed the ending 
the ending in the book is um, a tragic ending. Oh, is it? Um, and David Lynch decided to make it a happy ending. And uh, like a he said, Hollywood ending. Yeah, he said he said that if I left it the original ending, everyone would have moaned that I'm doing a David Lynch doing like a shitty ending at a film. Oh, so by subverting it, he makes it. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because the film is a romance; it's not a tragedy. And I think the happy ending really, really works for the film. I think it makes the film actually. I think it makes the film better that they do that kind of. Um, the the good witch comes down, who is a thingy from. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks plays the Guild of the Good okay. Witches. And she comes down and tells him that, you know, like you have to, you know, tell her you love her. And it finishes with him singing Love Me Tender, like which it's that's the best way to finish that film. And I was really happy with it, actually. Yeah, because I thought when he walked away, um, that th- they were going to do that kind of, you know, tra- tragic ending where, he, you know, the guy doesn't get with the girl. But, um, like, do you reckon you know, like when they bust his nose and it's massive? Do you think they purposely made it look bad? But I didn't know if they were trying to go for like a another like um, I'm, this might be stretching because of the amount of Wizard of Oz references in it. <laughs> but, no, because the bad witch is played by the mom, isn't it? Yeah, when they're driving the car. Absolutely, there's the bit where her um. Her, she's lying in the bathroom after painting her face, and her t- shoes have curled up like the witch shoes. Yeah, the wicked witch. And then she's flying on the side of the road on like. But his nose looks a bit like the scarecrow's nose. Oh, okay. It's like mass. It's like bright. It's black and it's massive. I was trying to but... catch because that's what I was thinking. If it, there's so much Wizard of Oz in this, I was tr- and he, they talk about it, he would have because that's what they say about um. Uh, what's his name? Um, Crispin Glover's character that he would have been really helped if he could meet a wizard that would tell him what's what he needs or something. But yeah, and the guy at the trailer park talks about Toto the dog. Yeah, but it's I was trying to look for who. Okay, who is like Scarecrow? I um, the woodsman and um, oh, I see what you mean. And the cowardly lion, but I couldn't. I had trouble finding those analogs in the film. I just saw the yeah, rest of the Oz stuff. Like it's a it's a very weird the the way he's placed the. The Wizard of Oz references in it. I mean, it's clear that the that the mom's the wicked yeah. witch, but then the good witch is someone who we've never seen in the film at all. This is another one of my cinema sins. I've never seen the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember right, Gilda is more important in the books than the film. Okay, I might be wrong at that. It it was weird. It felt like to me at some point while making the film, he kind of went, "Oh, it's like Wizard of Oz," and it ramped up at some point. At some point, there was no references whatsoever, and then by the time you get to like kind of three quarters of the way through through it, there's just continuous Wizard yeah. of Oz references and Yellow Brick Road. And another one of my favorite actors is in this film. It's Harry Dean Stanton. I absolutely love Harry Dean Stanton. Okay, but I felt like he was massively underserved underserved in this film. Because like he doesn't really have that much to do. Like he's he's killed off. I wouldn't say quickly, but his scenes are few and far between. And like you only see him really when he's chatting to um, Diane Ladd's character, and then he's driving a bit, and then he's in a motel, and then he's like pretty much a goner. Then his stuff like... was the stuff I was having trouble with when I first watched it because I think it felt like it starts off really strong. And then it kind of lulls itself, the film does for a while. And it felt it like there's a good 40 minutes where it just was felt aimless to me. And a lot of that was Harry Dean Stanton stuff. 
but I think he could have been utilized a bit better because he's he's capable of a lot more. Like I think he's like Paris, Texas is one of my favorite films. I think that's great a great film. film. Great film. And you know he's in Alien. Um, yeah, you know, countless other films. Countless um, other films. Marvel's Avengers. <laughs> he pops up at the end of that. Does he pop um, up in the Avengers? Yeah, he's when um when the Hulk crash lands to Earth off the sky. You know the what are they called? The sky ships? What are they okay, called? Yeah. The, the carriers. Harry Dean Stanton is like a a caretaker who wait, who's there when Mark Ruffalo wakes up. I can't believe I forgot that. That's amazing. Um, see, why do you think she covers her face in lipstick? What's that about? Like, I don't. I I took it as a, a Wizard of Oz thing, as she was co- like, obviously the Wicked Witch is like green. So she was kind of just like painting herself to look, you know, to look like that on camera. In the film, I think it's, she's having a psychotic break, isn't she? Because... Oh, yeah. Because Harry Dean Stanton's going to get killed because of her. So you think she genuinely loved him then? I think so, yeah. I think so. Or she just feels guilty. Or just feels guilt, yeah, sure. Um, When the woman, you know, the blonde woman who, um, when they've captured Harry Dean Stanton... Like the first thing she does is this massive scream. <laughs> I was wetting myself, and then there's that creepy guy who kind of is just like, like breathing around you and stuff like that. I'm like, who, who are these people? They're so weird. My favorite stuff in the film, I think, was like stuff. It was st- stuff like Nick Cage and Dora Dern that you can tell they were just making decisions. And there's a bit where I think it's the first hotel they get hotel room they get to and they're kind of reconnecting and Nick Cage is lying on the bed and he's got a radio on his feet and he's and he's he's playing with like the cable to it. See, I couldn't figure out if that was like red rope licorice at first, but then I was like, no. (laughs) And I'm like, there's no reason whatsoever you should be lying like that and doing like that unless you're Nick Cage and you've decided this is what this character's doing right now. And I couldn't take my eyes off him like. My earliest memory of this film was, okay, so when Jurassic Park came out, she obviously, Laura Dern's in Jurassic Park, and our mutual friend Robert Kenyon became obsessed with Laura Dern. For some reason, even at the age of eight or nine, he was obsessed with her, and he even had a picture of her from Wild at Heart by the side of his bed, and I don't know know why that's just popped up into my head, but because she's, like, as she said, she's highly sexualized, she's naked a lot in it. And for a nine-year-old boy to have that by the side of his bed, <laughs> that's yeah. She, she awakened feelings in our in our friend. That is, <laughs> puberty has come knocking. <laughs> she looks amazing. This film, she looks absolutely yeah, amazing, yeah. and she is amazing. She's, I think, Laura Dern's one of these actresses that it's it's now become really cool to tell you how great Laura Dern is. But I think for years people just slept on her. Um, they didn't know what to do with her and. And now people have kind of recognised that she is fucking brilliant and hopefully she'll keep getting good good kind of roles because of that. She's so good in Little Women and she's so good in Marriage Story and Last Jedi. And like, I need to watch those. I still haven't got around to those yet. Uh, Little Women was like my film of the year. Well, I don't know. Parasite's up there as well, obviously. But like, but I'm, I'm really happy. Like, I know I like Laura Dern and I'm really happy I went back to watch kind of a pre-Jurassic Park Laura Dern. Which I don't think I've seen too many of those. So she was quite young in Jurassic Park. She must have been about twenty three when she did that. 
How old do you reckon Sam Neill was? <laughs> he must have been in his 40s. Oh, God, good question. I have no... Yeah. <laughs> she, she was meant to be his student, though, wasn't she, in Jurassic Park? In the books, for sure. In the books. But in the film, you never got that sense. Uh, that's a good That's a good thing to cut out. It's a good thing to cut out for the film. Yeah. But I think she's got this maturity to it. I never questioned... Maybe if I was this age back in 93... I always thought she was... It. Yeah, I agree. I always thought she was older in that film. Older than she yeah. appears. She and didn't not, come across... Not in deep. a bad way. She doesn't look no. old, but she's got this maturity yeah. to her. Yeah, it's a proper maturity. She's really intelligent. She's really strong. She doesn't, like... She she doesn't falter. You know, she, like, she... She's the hero of the book, basically. Like. To be fair, she's a really good, strong female character, isn't she? Yeah, really? she's, she's amazing in Jurassic Park. She's, like, and that character works so well in a way that she's the last girl, but she isn't written like a victim as much. She's, she's written like someone trying to get shit done. Yeah. Which I think often female characters in those type of films just aren't written that way. And that's why she was perfect casting for it, really. I wonder if he, he must have seen this, and because like really, it's her next big film, isn't it? After Wild at Heart is Jurassic World Park. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's. I a, think so. Oh, uh, the Rambling Rose, she's in, but I don't really remember that film. But yeah, Jurassic Park and then Perfect World. So, so what do you think the 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 idea of the scene, you know, where they find the um the turned over car? What's 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 behind that? Do you reckon? What's I, the I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> because they, again, they keep setting him, they keep talking about him like he's a really bad person, sailor, but he's actually not. He wants to help this girl. Yeah. But yeah, she's, yeah. Is that Cheryl Fenn? Oh, is it Cheryl Fenn? Yeah. She's in She's in um, Twin Peaks as well. She might be in Blue Velvet as well, actually, but I'm not... But, uh, well, he casts a lot of the same people. So yeah. Laura Dern's Laura in Dern's Inland in Empire, Velvet, yeah. isn't she, I think? Yeah. Which... I've seen, I actually hear, tell a lie, have seen half of that, but seeing half of that is still two hours because it's like a four-hour-long movie. But that was a film that I think he just made like piece by piece and just kind of put this thing together. Like there's a there's a sitcom with like puppet with bunny rabbits in, isn't there? Like just randomly thrown in there and stuff like that. It's a very bizarre film. Very bizarre film. I bought it for our friend Isaac for his birthday and. It probably ended up like most nights out with Isaac, so we never quite finished the film. <laughs> but um, what was the scene that she kept on saying something when they? Oh, why did she go? That was it. When the woman dies on the side of the road, and Laura Dern keeps going like, "Why is she gonna have to? Why is she gonna go and do that? Like, died right in front of us. Like, why is she? <laughs> like, it's why would you do that to us?" So yeah, what else? Anything else that comes to mind? I mean, I just love it when they pull over on the side of the road and they're just like dancing to metal. <laughs> just any time that. the metal comes in. When he's doing like karate dancing, like yeah, like, like proper like. He's <laughs> brilliant. And uh, there was a bit where he's driving. They keep cutting to him, and there's just music on, and he keeps saluting. Yeah, he's just going like that. Because I think all the. All the drivings, they're all one takes, I think, aren't they? They're quite, they're like long takes, aren't they? I think. Yeah. Well, is he saluting? Is he saluting because his name's Sailor? I don't know. Is, is I that don't know why he's saluting. I sure. Yeah, let's say that's why. It's definitely David Lynch is definitely a director that lets you just discover what you want to do in a scene as an actor. I think. Like, well, I originally thought Sailor was a nickname, and like yeah. he was a sailor or something, and then no, he's. First name is Sailor. <laughs> I never gave it any thought. I just, yep, his name's Sailor. 
So have you got any other thoughts on the film? I'm kind of spent, really. But um... No, I don't think so. so. I have to say, when after the last episode, when we discussed what kind of film to do next, and I was thinking, you know, 1990, uh, I love Nick Cage. I, I yeah. really like David Lynch. Let's do that film. And then as I went to put it on, I was like, what have I got myself into? It's <laughs> David Lynch. I'm not like, how do I... How do I explore this? This is really hard. Like, but um, I mean, and... I watched it on a Sunday afternoon, and it's not a Sunday afternoon <laughs> movie. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not that kind of film. But but I can see why it wasn't a huge hit at the time. But I I definitely think it's a really good film. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm happy I've watched it. I mean, I don't know how soon I'll rewatch it, but but um, I'm glad I've seen a Nick Cage film that I haven't seen before, and I'm yeah. Glad I'm delving more into David Lynch. Yeah. I'm always good to see some Nick Cage. I mean, that's the crazy thing with Nick Cage. I'm never going to watch every single film he's done. Do you see that in the last three years, he's done something like... Um, I'll get the actual number, hang on. Well, didn't he have a lot of tax... Like, a lot of problems with money or something? And that's what they say. A I lot just, of property. That's what they say, but I think he's always been this way. Again, like he doesn't really have many massively over the top cage moments like there's the bit at the beginning when he has that he smashed that guy's head in and then he does a massive rage out in the the robbery scene he just all of a sudden goes but other than that he didn't really go he wasn't like bad lieutenant (laughs) which i think is an incredible film similar performance though it's that level he's just hitting it at that like full peak at all points like and he's committed in a way that i don't think he commits to a role in a way that's just it, so much fun to watch. Well, no apparently matter, on like, Bad Lieutenant, he had... Because you know he's like playing a coke addict police officer. He had this like almost like herbal fake coke that kind of like gave you a bit of like a... You know those herbal that like, gave you a fake high or right, whatever? Yeah. And he kept doing it between every take. And it really fucked off Werner Herzog. <laughs> so if you can watch this GQ interview and he's talking about that, the making of that film, they apparently they... They didn't. They clashed quite a bit on that set. Uh, I love that film. That's great. I mean, it has no relation to the to the Harvey Keitel one. No, it's better at all. So it's better. I agree, but I don't. Why did they call it that? I don't don't know why they call bad lieutenant. I don't understand. I don't know. I mean, I know he is a bad lieutenant, but like, I remember. I think I remember Werner Herzog saying something along that lines. Like, or is it just a cat? It's the thematical. It's just yeah. about a lieutenant who just goes batshit crazy. That's why I heard. I think I've, I think I remember Werner saying something like that. Like, well, it's it's a bad lieutenant. I can't do accents. <laughs> I can't do Werner. But that was yeah, good film, man. Good film. Would what would you give it out of out of five? Let's say we're on you're on letterbox. What would you give it out of five? Um, probably four. So I'm teetering between a three and a half or a four. Probably a four, but it's not a film I would watch over and over and over again. But but I thought the performances were great by everyone. Everyone was on their game. Yeah, I just had a lot of fun watching it. I liked the soundscape of the film. I liked the music. I liked the kind of energy to it. I I, I was going to start this podcast by singing and then decided not to because I like the song in this film so much. <laughs> so you've been saved from that. I was going to tr- test you on a little game. Are you interested in that? Because I was talking about the fact that you can look up the VHSs, the trailers that came on a VHS with with films. Okay. <laughs> so I wonder if you can guess these. Okay, go on. What? Okay, go for it. 
Um, so do you know who the studio was who released it? Because that will help you. No, that might help if you tell me that. But the studio who made the film was Samuel Goldwyn. Okay. And the first film, the first film on the VHS, this is the UK VHS release. It's the one I could find. Um, it is by a European director. Okay. It's an action film about a spy. About a spy? Yeah, kind of assassin spy. It it end up spawning TV shows and other and maybe a remake as well. Okay, uh, like not like not Leon, no, not not a Luke Besson film, no. Yep, yep, yep. A uh, Luke Besson film. Yep. Uh, La Femme Nikita, no. Yes, Nikita. First trailer. The second one is a film that I don't know if you remember, but I'm going to test you. It's the VHS cover for this was something that I saw all over the place. Okay. Like it's a, for me, I, I remember seeing it everywhere. It's um, kind of a science fiction horror film that stars um, do you know Dylan McDermott, who um, I know him from American Horror Story. Okay. But it's also got Iggy Pop in it, and it was directed by a guy called Richard Stanley, who. Is a music video director who also made Color Out of Space this year. Oh, okay. That's why uh, that's my connection. Um, is it so sci-fi action thing? I'm not sure. That's as much clues I can possibly give you. It's not Lormo. No, that was later, wasn't it, Lormo Man? Yeah, it is later. Uh, I don't know. Pass. It's called Hardware. Hard. I have seen the trailer for that. I've never seen it, though. If you look at, I think, that poster, the kind of, like, with the eyes in red, with, like, kind of a, a target on him, and then in green it just says Hardware in massive letters. Yeah. I saw that everywhere. I've never seen this film. Well, it was, there was that film, and there's, like, um, is it Fortress? That was another one that kind of, like, similar kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was the Clive Barker What's film, the, um... like, Nightbreed. I always saw the trailers and the posters yeah. for that, and... And this film, I've never heard of this film, and I'd massively be surprised if you fucking get this. Okay. It is a comedy film. Yeah. Comedy drama film. Um, stars Burt Ramson or someone? I don't know. It's got it's it's got um Judge Reinhold in it. <laughs> and oh Bo Bridges is the lead. Bo Bridges, okay. Um The only films I know with Judge Reinhold in are the Beverly Hills Cop movies. And vice versa. <laughs> so I'm going to say it's neither one of those, so I pass. Well, it's that classic. Daddy's dying. Who's got the will? Is that the name of the film? <laughs> that is the name of the film. Okay, I've never heard of it in my life. <laughs> that was a difficult trailer game. So what are we talking about on the next episode? Uh, we're gonna, going, uh, going to go into 1991. And I think we're going to cover a, a classic. I mean, like a, a bona fide classic, uh, Boys in the Hood. Well, as always, I've not seen that one, so I'm looking forward to watching that one. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. John Singleton film. And... So it's, it's directorial debut, is that right? Directorial debut. He got nominated for an Oscar for it. Two, two nominations. Really? Um, Cuba Gooding's basically first film. Was it? I think it was his first film. He might, might have been something else, but... 
um, Ice Cube's first film. Basically, Angela Bassett's first role, really, that wasn't. So it kind of kick-started a lot of careers. But yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about it. Yeah, we'll get into it next week. So if you want to watch along, it is on Netflix, I found out. So Yeah, it is on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed today's episode on uh, Wild at Heart. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Our uh, our handle is at adjust your track. So that's adjust and then your like Y R and then track. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And if the pitch is bad, please adjust your tracking. <laughs>